Okay. Yeah. You want me to sit in there? Yes, actually, that was the next question. Oh, broken it. God damn it. I don't have kids. I don't know how to take care of There we go. Yeah. Oh. Don't ask me. I have no idea either. <laughs> okay, good. We're going to be awesome. Oh, thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Back. Perfect. Now you can be a baby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they can be a Expect big, big baby. Yes. <laughs> be a diva. Oh, hi. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, actor, improviser, and director, Ithamar Enriquez. Am I saying that right? Enriquez? Yeah. Okay. I always, I want to be sure. Ithamar was born and raised in El Paso, Texas, eventually making his way to Chicago, where he performed and wrote in the Second City Touring Company, ETC Stage and Main Stage. Since moving to L.A., Ithamar has had an extensive career in commercials, film, and television. His one-man silent sketch show, which is amazing, called Ithamar Has Nothing to Say, has been featured at both the Second City and UCB theaters in Los Angeles. Just a few of Ithamar's TV credits include, and truly just a few, WandaVision, Curb Your Enthusiasm, A Series of Unfortunate Events, Arrested development american dad key and peel the office how to get away with murder and 911 film credits also a small list of his many include together together ladybird pop star mascots beyond the lights and unicorn store i better know ithamar from the second city hollywood where he both directed and assisted in writing my level five conservatory show with a few other guests who've already graced the podcast he is a prolific sketch writer and hasn't even mentioned that in his bio but i will praise this talent of his because it is very real that said, Ithamar, tell us, how was growing up in Texas? Uh, what do you love about comedy? How much fun was The Office? Tell us. Hi, Kate. Hi, Ithamar. <laughs> uh, that was an amazing intro. Thank you so yeah, much. That's your bio. Uh, you know, growing up in Texas was great. I, I really enjoyed El Paso. It was um, kind of a bigger city, but definitely with a small city feel. It wasn't the type where like everyone knew the milkman. I don't even know if there was a milkman. <laughs> I think we got our milk at grocery stores. <laughs> but um, but there was definitely like pockets of the city where you like grew up in the lower valley area of El Paso. So there was like three high schools that kind of made up that community and you would kind of know people from there. But I loved it. It, it was interesting because it was it's predominantly Mexican. Because we were uh, El Paso borders Juarez, Mexico, so uh, I'm second generation Mexican American, and so it was primarily Mexican. So I didn't even really know that I was a minority. Like I, I had heard that 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 I'm supposed to be a minority. <laughs> like I kind of knew that, but I didn't experience it because literally everyone was Mexican for the most part. It wasn't until I moved to college that I was like oh, this is what they mean by <laughs> minority. This is what they mean by different. Because it was in college that I actually started getting the question, like, what are you? And I'm like, what am I? Like, I've never gotten that question before. What do you mean? They're like, well, you know, the name Ithamar. And, and I was like, oh. And then I had to like actually say like, oh, I guess I'm, that's where the second generation thing came in. Because I used to just say, oh, you know, Mexican. They're like, so you're from Mexico? No, no, no. I was born in Texas. So you're Mexican-American. Yeah. What generation? I was like, oh my God. Like, Jesus. All these questions. Where did you go to college? Arizona State. 
oh. in Tempe. I know you would still think still pretty diverse, but at no. least not the college. No, there was I definitely felt the difference. Wow. And especially in music theater, which was my um, my major, there was only like three of us and the rest were predominantly white. So I remember it was funny. One of my first we did West Side Story in high school. And of course, again, like I said, everyone's Mexican. So there's no delineation between sharks and jets. You're just, everyone is cast. I played Tony, who's like the lead white guy in the show. And I was like, yeah, that's normal. Fine. So whenever I I got to college, I met this guy named Steve. He was such a jerk. We were like both freshmen and we were talking and he's like, so what? This is... This is like the nerd show choir version of like, what position did you play? It was like, so uh, what shows did you do in high school? <laughs> I will die. I will die. That should put your dick on the table. Yeah, it's like, oh, all right, pissing contest, huh? Well, have you heard of something called a cabaret? You know, or like. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I was like, oh, you know, West Side Story. And he was like, oh, let me guess. You were a shark? And I was like, and I got like. My, my peacock feathers like I was, actually I was Tony for your you know he was like Tony how so it was like it was like the it was like the first time I was like oh this is what they mean by like different and being a minority and so that was a huge culture shock for me it was the first time I was like oh oh yeah I guess I'm different this is different and then when I started doing improv which was my sophomore year of college I was again one of maybe two uh, Latinx people in the group, maybe even two like minorities in the group, that became like anytime I would enter a scene that automatically became part of the joke. Come like, on, one of the other players would like just because it was also like our group was very like shock value. So you know we're in college, we don't we weren't necessarily getting the subtleties of what you could do with improv. I was like, let's what we're Hammer. playing games. So it was like what's what's funny, what's fast. So a lot of times I'd walk in and like someone would be like, oh, there's our gardener. Oh, there's our blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's like, oh. So it became a process of like, well, what do I do about this? Like, how do I, how do I make this my own, right? So it took a few shows to learn that, to be like, well, if you're going to label me a gardener, I'm going to flip the script and be a gardener that you're not expecting. I'm going to do something that... Because I know what you're trying to do. Mm. You're trying to make the stereotype a comedy. Mm. So I'm going to add something else. I'm going to make him a weird gardener. I'm going to make him a gardener with an English accent. I'm going to make him a gardener, you know, something. So in a way, even though at first it hit me like as a rough surprise, it really trained me to find a way to flip the script on them. Did you ever find yourself feeling defensive? I would feel defensive. Absolutely. How did you work through that? I guess being like, okay, if that's what you think, I'm going to I'm gonna change it. I'm going to change it. I'm going to... What's a better way of putting that? Yeah, I'm going to change your expectations. Mm. I'm not going to let you label me. You can label me as a character, but I'm not going to let you define that character. And that's still... I still very much use that even today. Like, I still get really upset it's getting a little bit better in the acting world but every once in a while you'll still get that role you're reading for you're like are we seriously still here like we're still seeing latinx people as these characters only so it really made me find a way to make it 
my own. So it's like the layer under the layers. Yeah, exactly. And would you ever lean into the, okay, they've labeled you the gardener, the housekeeper, whatever Mm -hmm. gross stereotype. Would you ever lean in and just go so hard into that character and don an accent and like go crazy? A few times I did. I remember one time this, this, this woman said something about, I mean, she literally even maybe said like the stupid gardener or something like that. Or no, or like the gardener who can't speak English or whatever. So I went hard and I just, I called her every curse word I know in Spanish. In Spanish? In Spanish. And there was such a release in the audience and that felt amazing because then I knew they were on my side. Oh, because they understood. They felt it. Yes. Yes. So I was calling her that and which I mean, you know, I'm not proud of that move now, but back then because I was still (laughs) learning like and they were cheering and I was like, oh, good. So they get it too. Like they, they get that this isn't what is supposed to be happening. And was there ever an awareness on the part of the other actors if you when you would flip it on its script of like or on its head of like, ooh, shit, maybe we shouldn't. uh, Maybe we're being the assholes. Did they ever come to you and say, hey, we have this awareness now? No, there was never there was never like an awareness that they talked about. But less of that shit happened once I would come on stage with them. Hell yeah. Like once they saw that I could do that, it's like, okay, then I guess we're just going to start. Not afresh, not doing that, <laughs> and then I ended up directing the group a year later. <laughs> and you're like, guess what, dicks? We're going hard. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so you are. That's in Arizona, mm-hmm. and then what got you? Did you ever live in Chicago and do? I some, did. You did. So I did. Welcome. So uh, the very first Chicago Improv Festival happened. I think I was a junior in college, and like we went out to Chicago. I had heard and knew that Chicago was a huge improv hub. But when we visited the city, I was like, I mean, I'm from El Paso. I've never been in a huge metropolitan city like that. And I'm just looking around like, this is amazing. Look at this beautiful, gorgeous, amazing city. I didn't even know that cities looked like this. And we went to a few improv shows. We went to Second City to catch their improv set. And that's when I was like, that was hook, line, and sinker. I'm like, this is, this is where I'm going. Like I said before, I studied music theater thinking I was going to move to New York and be on Broadway. And then once I started doing improv... And then on top of that, visiting and seeing Chicago, I was like, that's it. I'm moving to Chicago, not knowing a single person. So right after college, literally the summer after college, I moved to Chicago. Wow. Not knowing anyone, lived in a real crappy apartment, which I'm sure we'll get to my customer service job, but that sort of leads me into that. But uh, yeah, it was, I lived in Chicago. I ended up putting in about eight years in Chicago before I moved out to LA. And was it was it an obvious, you know, you had done Second City Chicago, so you were thinking the next step is I want a bigger market? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember the advice I'd gotten from my directors and other past performers at Second City was in Chicago was you never want to overstay your welcome. Mm-hmm. You want to leave when you're still enjoying it. And I did that. I had done two ETC shows and three main stage shows. For those of you who don't know, those are the resident companies the resident stage companies in chicago and it's a full-time job like that was like my first paid acting paid acting work after my third main stage show i was still really enjoying it but i was definitely itching for something else i'd started do i started doing other commercials and stuff that came by chicago there wasn't a bunch but definitely enough and i was like okay this is this is cool and then a lot of my friends had made the move out here to la so i was like i think i'm ready to go and that's what made me do it 
Okay, and Ithamar marks the first guest back from pandemic in Los Angeles that we've had on the podcast in person. Oh. So yeah, you are uh, you are the welcome back to life might be getting back to a little bit normal. Thank and you. Should I mention now that I've not been vaccinated? Yes, or? and that I have been exposed to COVID. So between the two of us, somebody's going to die. It's great. We're making good choices. <laughs> okay, so you come to Los Angeles and then you get, are you immediately plugged into the improv scene here? A little bit. Yeah, okay. a little bit. Definitely with Second City Hollywood. Um, yeah, I think I'd start doing a few shows at Second City Hollywood. Um, but it was rough, man. But the, the, the first the first year was real tough. I mean, you. I came out here, you know, as, as much as I love Chicago and I love Second City, it definitely trains to be like, you're at the top of the top here. All the doors will open, you know. And I moved to LA and it's like, oh, I have to start over again, <laughs> which in retrospect, I'm glad that happened because Why? it made me like, it just made me hustle again. I, mm-hmm. I feel like if I get too comfortable, mm-hmm. it, it starts to like, you don't hustle as much, you don't create as much. So it caught me off guard and I was like, oh, I got to like figure something out. So started doing more shows and just getting myself out there. And but yeah, that first year was real, real tough. Like I'd been in a long distance relationship, which, you know, ended in that first year. Yes. I ran out of money. And yeah, so it was it was it was a t- and, and for me it felt like my first year in college, which I was already I was thirty at that point. I was like, this can happen again. This is supposed to happen to you in college. <laughs> like this sucks so this much. Sucks. <laughs> I thought I was done with this shit, you know. And no, it was just beginning again. But then I started teaching and directing at Second City, and that I had never directed until I went to Second City Hollywood, and I found a new love in that. I mm. really really enjoyed. The directing more than the teaching. I, I did enjoy teaching, but at the time, once they assigned me to a group, much like the group that I directed you and Kate, it, that was like helping sort of create those shows and getting to know this ensemble for, you know, I guess that's like equals like two years or so. Mm-hmm. That was so satisfying to me. So that kind of like kept my brain, my creativity going along with other improv shows that I was doing a little bit of writing here and there. Well, what Ithamar's not saying also is that because of the, he would create these really fun, crazy transitions in between scenes that other directors, I don't know if they weren't doing it, they just, they didn't, they weren't known for it. And so Ithamar became known for these really fun transitions. So other classes got wind of how much fun the shows were and they would request him to direct their shows. (laughs) And we were like, no, no, he's busy. He's with our (laughs) class. Like, thank you for asking. (laughs) so it was so much fun and then because of what you gave us we were able to take that show to the chicago sketch fest that's right and it was the most fun we still talk about being able to do that Dwayne colbert who's been on the podcast we talked about that being one of the most fun trips of our life because we got to do the show there so it was yeah it was thanks to your brilliant direction okay so get us up to today though so you are you're in the grind and based on your uh very truncated credits in your bio you been busy. So what is it that, how did you find yourself plugged in enough where you were getting consistent auditions and work? And Well, something that was also a very lucky thing for me is when I was still in Chicago on the main stage, my current manager would make trips to Chicago. He's from Chicago. And he started representing a bunch of people from the stages who would go on to like Mad TV or SNL or whatever. So he came back to town on one of his trips, he had kind of known me a little bit through then. My very good friends, Brian Shortle and Frank Cayetti, who were also both represented by him, basically put it in his ear, hey, Ithamar's playing, I'm moving out to LA. And then 
he like emailed me or called me while I was still in Chicago and said, when you come, let me know. I want to rep you. And for me, that was like, wow. I I mean, that was, that made, I'm getting goosebumps remembering because I I just, first of all, for Brian and Frank to do that is an amazing amazing thing it's mm-hmm. such an amazing thing for them to do that and that's why i love them both so much not not the only reason why i love no, them. no that's it that's the only, <laughs> the only reason up. i love them yep. once i leave that manager i'm bye. not talking to them anymore <laughs> bye guys bye to you your families your kids <laughs> see ya you're all dead it's all, fine <laughs> so that made it easy to come out here already with a manager and then when i came out here he set me up with my commercial agent and my theatrical or tv film agent and i started auditioning and you know starting with like co-stars which for those of you who don't know it's like five lines or less on a TV show. Got a couple of those under my belt. And then um, slowly but surely started moving up to like guest stars and recurring and, and, um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, it's, it's, it's taken a while. And like I said, I've been here since 2008. And uh, so I'm bad at math, but whatever that equals out. Um, Six years. <laughs> I, I did it. There Nailed you go. <laughs> uh, that's, that's how long it's taken. That's, wow. but thankfully it's been, as slowly as I feel it is, it's been improving. So yeah, I, even though I feel like it's been, it's taken a, a, a longer time, it really hasn't like, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And the good thing is that it's definitely been like an improvement from year to year. I mean, there's definitely mm-hmm. months that are more busy than others. I still, I'm still not at a point where I feel like I can kick my shoes off and sure. lay it back and be like, ah, I'm just going to be getting job after job after job. There's definitely months where I'm like, oh my God, if I don't book something, we're in trouble. Yeah. So, which again, this just keeps me on my toes. Are you still teaching? No. So you no. are fully acting. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. When no, did you is. notice that transition happening? Um, The last, gosh, the last class I taught was probably around late 2018 or so. Oh, wow. So it's been a while. And then, yeah, that was kind of last time. Oh, that's got to feel so good. Yeah. I mean, there's parts, there's time that I miss it too, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, my heart isn't performing. Okay. And you didn't answer my question though, because I have to remind you, no, it's okay. We're going back. How much fun was the office? You know, I'm going to tell you right now and I'll explain why later. Okay. It wasn't very fun. Okay. Let me explain why. Okay. So at that time, I wasn't really auditioning for too many shows that I actually watched. and uh, Or I'm sorry, I wasn't booking shows that I actually watched. When I booked The Office, I was like, oh shit, I love this show. I love this cast. I hope it's a good time. So I'll preface this by saying that most of why I didn't have fun was all on me slash a piece of set furniture, which I'll get to. <laughs> so... I'm driving up to the where they shoot the office. And oh, pause for one second. Yes. Okay, so Ithamar is in the not the last season. You're the season before the last, right? You yes. play an EMT, if yes. I'm correct. They're okay. all in Florida, right? And Dwight has an, his appendix needs to be taken out, and Ithamar is one of the people that is like, "You dumb fuck, you have to go to the hospital." So yes, sorry. yeah. Dwight thinks that Jim has poisoned him. That's right. And mm-hmm. I'm the EMT who ends up telling everyone it's actually his appendix. We got to get him to the hospital. Okay, so sorry. So you're at the top of the hill you're driving yeah so i'm driving to where they shoot and basically what they don't tell you is when you're driving up the outside of the building is the outside of dunder mifflin mm-hmm. like it's their parking lot isn't that crazy so i'm driving up and i see the sign like oh my god this is dunder mifflin like this is it <laughs> so already i'm already getting like really nervous, nervous. yeah so i get on set and it's most of the cast because i think in that episode half of them stayed in scranton and half of them were in florida mm-hmm. so in my half it's like 
John Krasinski, Rain Wilson, Ellie Kemper, Leslie David Baker, Dave Keckner, BJ Novak. So a lot of them, a lot of them. So, <laughs> so when I get there, they have me. I'm in my EMT costume. Then they have as a as a background or extra a person who's actually like a former EMT person to help out with terminology, you know, terminology, whatever. They bring out this. They wheel out this gurney. It is an old gurney. I look at the guy that actually EMT and he looks at me. He's like, we haven't used these for years. Now, he's telling me this as they're setting up everything around. There's cacophony and we're about to shoot. I'm like, oh my God. So, Rain Wilson, basically the, the action is when they say action, he's on the gurney, which is on the f- ground, on the, f- yeah, on the floor. We have to pop up the gurney with Rain Wilson in it before I say my lines and wheel him out. Every time we try to pop up the gurney, it doesn't happen. <laughs> And Rain Wilson, understandably so, is starting to get frustrated. Frustrated, not necessarily with us, just frustrated. I believe me, I get it. Those are long days. You don't want to be jerked around. At one point, it was kind of funny because at one point, John Krasinski looks at Rain and goes, "It's actually kind of funny seeing you struggle on that. Maybe we should try it." And Rain was like, "No, no. I, we need to." Yeah. So we keep doing. We keep doing. I am sweating bullets. Oh my god. Because I because everyone's looking at me because somehow. They don't. They can't tell which one of us is the actor and which one of us is the expert because none of us have said our lines yet. We're both dressed as EMTs. Oh my god! So everyone's looking at me like you don't know how to do this, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm just the actor. Like, <laughs> I didn't go to school for please. this. I Help. did cabaret in high school. <laughs> what do you expect? From I me? was Tony in West Side Story. Tony West Story. And yes, we were all at next. Get over it. Just get ready. There's going to be a musical called In the Heights and it's going to blow your mind and you won't know what to do with yourselves in the future. Deal. Um, so then, and then at one point, this was this was really fun. So Leslie David Baker, who I'd kind of known a little bit through a mutual friend in Second City, at one point in between, he looks at me and he's not pretending to be Stan. I think this is just him. And he yeah. goes, Ithamar. And I go, yeah. He goes, you are working too damn hard. Aww. And I was like, well, that's very sweet. But still, people are looking at me so we finally get through it. I am not like, I can't even look at the actors' faces in between because everyone, it's getting tense because we can't work this fucking gurney. How come production hasn't come in at this point? I think because again, they think that we're both experts. experts. They think we're both EMTs. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. So finally we get through it. They wrap, they wrap us and Rain Wilson looks at me and shakes my hand with a smile. He goes, thanks, man. And I was like, oh, thank God. That was yeah. so nice of him. Because I could tell he was frustrated. And he still found a way to shake my hand, say thanks, good job. So unfortunately, as much as I wanted to have an amazing time, it wasn't just because most of it was I was in my head. Now, if that would happen to me now, I would have spoken up right away. 100%. I would have said like to the AD, hey, this is a gurney isn't working blah 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 but back then i was still like i can't i can't rock the boat i can't sure. say anything i have to do what they say i have to you know well especially so. on an established cast this wasn't season two yeah. you know so you have to be so careful as a guest or a co-star of like shit i super can't rock the boat because they could decide a lot of things and it's nbc and it's oh god yeah. were there execs on set i, I if they were i have no you idea. didn't know okay yeah. Yeah, so it was quite the experience. And audience, I did not know that's what the experience was. I thought we were telling a positive story. I'm so sorry to make you relive that, Ithamar. But, but, no, but you know, just like I keep saying back, you know, over and over, like, I'm glad it happened. I'm really sure. glad that happened because now, like I said, now 
I'm very free to mention something if something's sure. not right or if sure. it's going to or if I see that someone's pissed at something, just be like, what can I do to make this easier? What's going on? Uh, I was in a very different place back then sure. than I am now. And if you're green, you know, you don't. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to go on to the entrees after a quick break. We are back, and now it is time to move on to the entrees. Okay, now, Ithmar, this is where we get into the questions about customer service. Yes, folks, he did work in customer service before this. It's not just because he's great that he's on the podcast. That's part of it. That's not all it. Okay, this is where we go through the list of everything, and if you have stories off of this, totally feel free to tell them. What was your first job ever where the government was taking taxes out of your... So it can be a paper route. We've had people have that as the answer. But was there a job you can remember early on? Okay. Yes. <laughs> this is going to be so embarrassing. Yes. Well, no, not for... Because I promise everyone we are going to get to the customer service job. But my first job where the government took money out of my paycheck was an acting job like in high school get out we're ending the podcast bye there's the exit sir i didn't know that this is bullshit the shame i feel it wasn't a (laughs) full-time job i know that's i'm like well i'm gonna be honest here thank you i did a show in el paso it was called viva el paso and it was about the history of el paso it was like a summer thing um again i was not it wasn't like enough to like live off of but i was in high school and it was it was this really fun show that was done like in this beautiful mountain amphitheater. So that was like my first official job. So it wasn't a customer service job, but it was the first job. I'm rolling my eyes so hard right now. <laughs> As I you didn't should. know this, folks. As you should. Oh, as a paid actor, it was my first job ever. It's great. It feels great. Fine, Ithamar. What was what was your? But let me tell you. Okay, tell us. Sometimes spiders were on the stage. Well, <laughs> how did one survive? Ithma, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? I'm okay. They were really scary spiders. <laughs> God, for all of you out there, I mean, for all of you who have ever performed in an outside amphitheater where there are spiders on stage, you can well, relate at yes. how difficult that is. Wow. Wow. <laughs> we absolutely are moving on so that the audience does not hate you forever. Okay. I'm so, so what? After your super famous Viva El Paso experience. It was not super famous. Anyway. What was the job you had after that that might have been customer service? Great. So that one was in Chicago at the Gap. Ooh, retail. Well, wait. It was Gap Hybrid. So it was Gap and Gap Kids. Oh, no, no, no. In Lincoln Park, which is a little kind of a Bougie. So we had those moms to deal with. I'll bet you did. All the time. And literally... I had never done any sort of customer service. I I went there because I was like, oh, this is like two blocks away from my apartment. (laughs) In my first interview, you know, they're like, so um, why do you want to work? Why do you want to work at The Gap? And I was completely honest with them. I was like, I live two blocks away. (laughs) Like thinking that that was like... That's a good answer. And then she was like, okay. She's like, don't say that in your second interview. Got it. Thank you. (laughs) Got it. I will not mention that. You need to act like you really like our pants. <laughs> yeah. Something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was, um, it was my first uh, experience in customer service. And even just when you made the face when I said Gap and Gap Kids in Lincoln Park, you can imagine the type of clientele that that 
uh, we got. Did I, I have not worked retail. Is it true that you have to, like everything is inch by inch spaced out on the shelves and you have to just make sure you like hit all the measurements and all that crap? Pretty much. It all depends on which manager is working. Uh, Some managers were like, you need to get the plastic board, put it in the shirt, fold it so that this is all like perfect. Like I could run my fingers up, like up and down like a washboard. Yeah. And then some were like, yeah, just fold it. So it just all depends on... (laughs) But the part, the part that was also hard was it was like, you have to wear our current merchandise, which we got like 50% off, which is great. But I still, I was still very poor back then. So I was like, I, I'm not going to buy a shirt that's going to change next month. So I remember our stock guy, Tom, he was like the guru of all the people who didn't actually want to work there, but (laughs) he had like a management job because he was in charge of the stock room. But he was like the guy that was like, let me teach you the ways. So I remember uh, his whole thing. He, he was like the guy, like the part at the parties at college, like, oh my God, that guy's here. Let's go talk to him. Like sit in the middle of a bunch of like, you know, probably too old to be in college, yep. but still yep. like, so I remember court. like, he was like, hey man, just buy a black t-shirt and a pair of blue jeans and you're always, it's always in, in style and that's stock. Brilliant. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So that's, I just went. So Uniform. For, which is funny because for a while there, I feel like everyone just looked like Tom. Like everyone was just dressed. <laughs> Exactly like Tom. He started a cult. Yeah, with the black t-shirt and the jeans. <laughs> do you have, we're not a, totally at this question yet, but I do want to know, do you have a specific memory of an interaction with like a mom or someone in that, that, that really was jarring or frustrating or? Well, uh, this happened not just once, it happened a lot of times, which really made me sad mm-hmm. is that some of the moms would come in with their children and the nannies and when they wanted help and I'd be like, great, what size does your son wear? The mom would have to turn to the nanny and say, what size is he again? Ooh. Yeah, that was real tough. That is really That was tough. real sad. And then the nanny would be like, you know, whatever, four or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that part was really like, oof. And then you have to like be nice. And so that was really, that was really tough. And then people who would like, like Tasmanian devil walk in in a hurry and like, I want, and it's, and it's yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. And, and, and the gap, at least back then was also like, and I think I remember this being a customer at the Gap and then also being an employee, but there was definitely a a specific, what's the word? There was a specific point of being polite. Like you had to be polite regardless. So that was real tough because sometimes they would just treat you like you were literally like their private shopper. Like you'd walk around behind them being like that, 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 that. And they just point at shit and make you pull Sometimes, it. yeah. It's not Nordstrom. It's the gap. I know. I That's know. crazy. So, and yeah. you would just have to do it. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't, you'd have to just do it. Was there like a corporate policy as far as how many, because we've had a guest on who said you had to hit these, there were three questions. They had to all get asked at some point with the, with each customer before they left. Did you have those kinds of directives? The worst was <laughs> no matter what, like even before, even if a customer was just standing there, if they're at the cash register, whatever it was, you always had to push the fucking credit cards, really like the fucking gap credit card, which was always so like, it was so annoying. You always got no's. It was always like, hey, I'm Ithamar. Do you need anything? No, I'm just looking. Great. Well, just so you know, if you blah, 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 right now, 10% of the whole thing. And they would just look at you like, get 
away from <laughs> me. And I, I would just be like, I agree with you, sir or ma'am. I want to get I would away. love to be away from I would from love you, to actually. not have to do this spiel for you. And would you have to hit then markers as far as how many credit cards people sign up for where they were like, here's your goal? You wouldn't have to, but there were incentives. Like uh. if you hit 10 a month, you got a discount for clothes or you got a pay bump or whatever. Well, you were already in the cult, so you didn't need a discount on clothes. Yeah. Like, I'll take yeah, that. I was wearing the black t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Cult, You're so. like, Tom already told me how to book the system. Yeah. Give me the, okay. So, yeah. so you would always have to push the credit card. Was mm-hmm. there another directive that you had to do? Just whatever their new stuff was like whatever uh. the new, so all the new stuff was always in the front huh. when you walked in right away. It's all the new seasonal stuff. And then huh. all the basics, which were the black t-shirts, yep. the jeans, all the khakis. Again, this is early 2000s. All the khakis were kind of like towards the middle of the store. So as people walked in and be like, hi, how are you? Hey, just let you know, these shirts just came in last week and blah, 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 you know. And of course, you already get the faces like, seriously, leave me alone. Please stop. Unless I need to point to things to for you to grab <laughs> for me then, you know. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. And there was one time this, I, I feel bad about it. I was so pissed off then. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, now I feel really, really bad. We were about to close and we would close like at 9 p.m. or whatever. And there was this older gentleman who was waiting outside the, the store, the door. It was a glass door. And he kept peeking in and then he wouldn't walk in. And he kept peeking in. And we're like, this is weird. And we were like already folding up for the night and whatever. It, like 8.58 when the store is clear he walks in and I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like, I just want to go home and he is taking his sweet time. I remember I looked at my manager. I'm like, dude, what the, I was so mad. He finally, like he would look at taking his time, taking his time, taking his time. He finally checked out. It was like nine 45. Cause then we still had to, after the last customer, you still have to clean up fold. So it's going to be a late night. So then I was so pissed at the manager for letting that happen and blah, blah. Well, I find out later that this manager knew who this customer was. He had severe OCD and didn't want to shop in the store when other people were there. So he would always wait until everyone was gone. And now in my older age, I was like, oh God, I'm so glad that manager did that for him. Yeah. Because I didn't know. But back then I was like, screw this guy and now I feel so bad that I felt that way yeah what a th- what a sensitive and lovely manager know, for being having that awareness I, That's, I see that now but back then yeah no I then you want to hit him in the face with a rock yeah but oh that's <laughs> right. really sweet yeah. okay um, how many customer service jobs have you had total let's see let's see probably three because the gap one lasted a while okay I was gonna ask you how gap long? one was like an off and on so Gap was a couple years and then I switched to, I wanted like, I wasn't like, getting any benefits or anything. So I wanted a job with like benefits. So then I started working at, um, there's like a testing company. I don't know if it's still around called Kaplan where like it, it sets you up to test like, or help test for like SATs yeah. and PSAT and all that stuff. Yeah. I remember them. Or LSAT. LSAT, yeah. all that. Yeah. So a friend of mine, again, through another actor friend, they're like, it's such an easy job. You get benefits. It's nine to five. It's so simple. It's downtown Chicago. So I did that for about a year, which has its own stories. And then after that year, I got hired to do the touring company for Second City, which is very exciting. But what you don't know, you think that's a full-time job. It is not. It's You get paid by the show, or at least back then. You get paid by the show, and every month was different. Some months, you would have like three weeks of shows. Some months, you'd be like, I have four shows this month. Because it was three different touring companies that they would spread out through all the tours. How do you budget? 
Well, not only that, how do you keep a job in Chicago? Of course. That's going to let you just leave for do free. that. Oh. So at the time when I got when I got the twin company, I left Kaplan and I was like, I got to find another job. So the manager who hired me at the Gap in Lincoln Park had moved to another Gap close by that was only Gap Kids and Baby Gap. And so I'm like, I'm just going to hit her up, see what's going on. She couldn't have been better. She was like, Ithamar, we love you. We want you here. Every month when you get your schedule for the touring company, give it to me and we will work around it. And I was like, as much as I hate this job, I can't. That's manna from heaven. Yeah. Yeah. I can't complain because she's literally going to work around my entire schedule so I can survive touring. God bless her. Do you remember her name? Yeah, Julie. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, Julie. People like Julie keep artists arting in the United States. Truly. Julie Healy in Chicago, Illinois. What up, Julie? That's so lovely. Yeah. She was it was so sweet of her to do that. And again, that that kept me that kept me going. Kept me afloat. So how so you would give her your schedule at the top of the month Mm -hmm. and then you so on when you weren't touring on these really complex, very competitive productions, then you're just trying to sell some t shirts? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, at that time, baby clothes. Oh, that's right. You mentioned that. Mm, I think I let that. I will say one time that I was there at the at the the baby gap and gap kids while I was touring. There was a very nice customer. This woman walked in. She was so sweet, so lovely. And her name is Joan Cusack. Oh, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever at all. Yeah, she walked in and I was like, oh my God, that's Joan Cusack. I know she lives in Chicago. I'm like, oh my God, that's Joan Cusack and couldn't have been nicer. Mm, Couldn't have been sweeter. Oh, I love that. Yeah, anyway. Okay, so you do, so you moved to Baby Gap, Gap Kids, Mm -hmm. and then uh, after Kaplan, what was after that? After that, they shipped me off to Second City, Las Vegas. Oh, fun. Uh, And that was, that was was it. it. That was was when I was equity- Actors' uh-huh. Equity got benefits, and basically, when acting became a full-time job. And then, did you go Vegas, LA, or did you go Vegas uh, back to Chicago? Vegas back to Chicago for those three TC and I'm sorry, two ETC and three main stage shows, and then to LA. Okay, and um, I so when I asked Ithamar to be on the on the podcast, he had mentioned, you know, I haven't had a ton of customer service jobs, and I said, much like other guests, you will be surprised at how many you actually have had because I consider teaching customer service for certain and especially sure, I can see that. Yeah. yeah so did you ever get and i know you have to be careful and if you don't want to answer any of these questions tell me but did you ever get in situations where you were teaching where you thought i have to toe the line here because this student for example probably shouldn't be in this arena mm. but they are paying to be here mm-hmm. so i need to kind of encourage them like were you ever in a weird position that way and if you don't want to answer this you can totally tell me I mean, everyone has everyone has their own journey. So, I don't know if I ever tried to dissuade people. Am I using that yeah. word correctly? Dissuade people from continuing, because also I never I never knew what people I never knew what they were trying to get out of it. For oh. all I know, they were like, "I'm in this because I'm just trying to be more outgoing," or "I'm in this because I want to think faster at my job." Hmm. So. You know, we, the only the only thing that I regret, or not regret, this is because this isn't my decision. The only thing I wish we had, I feel like we were, we only had, I don't know if you remember, we only had one week where it was a one-on-one with the students. I don't remember that. Where like you would take each student like five minutes at a time and be like, hey, this is what I see. Oh. This is what you can improve on. But it was literally once in the eight weeks for five minutes. I wish that that were maybe even like twice because then you could really get into the nitty gritty with each, with each student. 
I will be honest. I'm I'm definitely a people pleaser. So I, even if I knew someone was hopeless, I was never like, give up. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Walk out into traffic. Yeah. It's over for yeah. you. And, it's, and, I'm, and I'm not, I didn't, I didn't not say that because I wanted Second City to have money or anything. I really just wanted, I wanted to find the students' strengths and help heighten that. That's lovely. So if they weren't necessarily good at improv, but I could tell that they had like great one-liners that didn't feel authentic in the scene, but their one-liners, I'd be like, hey, maybe you want to be a writer. Yeah. Maybe you want to write. Maybe you want to pocket some of those lines, but then still try to be present in the moment. So I never necessarily told someone to change their path. I tried my best to find their strengths and have them tap more into that. Oh, that's lovely. We've had um, another improv coach at a different at Groundlings on, and he had said that there was one cha- or one situation where there was a student that was probably dangerous, and he mm. had to be the deliverer of the message of "You actually can't come back here." Have you ever had that? Kind I'm of thing? very lucky that I've never had that. Yeah, I've never wood. had. I know. I've Sorry. Never. I just cursed you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love. Can you just knock on wood? And literally, there's not a single wooden thing in this room. Not a single one thing. In this <laughs> I thankfully never had a student where I felt like the students were in danger. I was in danger. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Okay. What was your favorite job? Now, obviously acting is the, you know, the most favorite of all of mm-hmm. the things, but of the customer service jobs you've listed, what was your favorite? Uh, I will say that the Kaplan one was. Really? Because we, in our little, so I ba- it was basically like data entry and every once in a while I have to talk to someone on the phone. But in our little section, which was like five of us, we're all actors. We were like anyone else working in that office with us probably hated us because all we were doing were bits upon bits Shut the upon fuck up. bits. <laughs> and the job was so easy. I'd go in at 9 a.m. I was really done with my work work by like noon and I had to stay till five. So like, how are you going to fill that time? So fuck around with your friends. when I came in. <laughs> I was like doing all this stupid shit and making everyone around me laugh. But I know because everyone was still trying to make calls. And every once in a while they'd be like, hey, guys, can you (laughs) keep it down? And then we'd be like, feel like little kids. Like, but I remember this is so stupid. Some of the stuff I would do, like I would take out, like I would basically use all the office stuff to like make puppets and shit. Like you would not. Yeah. Like I would like do the like print out pictures of celebrities and like do stupid things. One thing I did was I basically created all these little characters and one of them was called fake John T. And this is all it was. It was a pencil that I added limbs to arms and legs. And then I cut out a Xerox copy of John Turturro's face, taped it on the pencil. No, you did not. And I created this character called fake John T who was like a little Sprite who kept trying to, convince people he was actually John Turturro but everyone knew he wasn't John Turturro so it'd be like hey guys what's going on I was in you know oh brother where art thou <laughs> and it's like we know you're not the real John Turturro fake John T we're trying to work you need to go away no 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 look I'm John Turturro I was in Hudsucker Proxy and Big Lebowski it's like no you're fake John T and then like ah, and then like disappear so that so like little shit like that that I would keep that I would do. Yeah. There was one, I was, I had like a big, like water, empty, like Evian water bottle. And I think because it looks so like robust, I put like a tuxedo thing <laughs> on his chest and made him like a butler. I forgot what his thing was. It was probably like a Mr. Belvedere thing. 
So that's what that was so fun because I was essentially doing what I do Comedy. on stage. I was yeah. just, I was like, yeah, I'm done with my job in two hours. Now what can I do to completely disrupt? <laughs> and then the funny, the craziest thing, Kate, is like one time I went out to lunch and I already, I had been there like maybe like, I don't know, five months or whatever. I came back and they're like, Ithamar, where were you? I was like, why, what happened? They're like, we just held like this little, like they do this like awards ceremony, like every six months of like most improved and whatever in the office. And you got an award. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, that is impossible. They're like, no, you got like, I don't even remember what it was. It was like office clown. Most no, it was like most efficient operator or something. I was wow. like, really? Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, maybe it was fake John T that yeah, actually won like, that award. I was like, great. Where's the award? I want to make a puppet out of it. <laughs> So I have to say that that one was my favorite because a lot of the people that I was working with at the time were really, we were in a acting company at the time called Burla Monkeys in um, Chicago. So we were, we were social outside of work. So it was just basically how can I make these people laugh in between phone calls? Oh, that's and so I know everyone else hated us, but we, I had an amazing time. Uh, what was your least favorite of all of the jobs? Definitely the gap. I mean, mm-hmm. The first round of the gap. Although that was fun too. We found I'm like we found ways to make that fun too. But I think and a lot of the, of why I didn't like it wasn't even so much the interactions with the public. It was because I wasn't happy where I wasn't happy where I was at that time in my life. Meaning I really wanted to be like at Second City. I wanted sure. to be and I wasn't. So I, it made me very bitter that I had to work there. It's an interesting thing. And I you're you're making me look at my own work history and think of the times where that was true doing if you're doing background work and you're just like, fuck this, I want to be done or like or anything that isn't what you actually want to be doing, that it can it can be perspective, but also dealing with customers. So it's like if you have a, a challenging perspective and there's a bunch of people asking their nanny what size things are or whatever else it's like that is the perfect storm for hating the situation you are yeah. in. and i have to say like i i um when i got the job at the gap and i was already in like two or three months in it was my first customer service job i remember thinking to myself everyone in the world <laughs> needs to experience a customer service job at least once in their life. I totally agree. Because it changed my outlook on when I went to anywhere, whether it was retail. First of all, anytime we went to retail, my family would make fun of me because like I would start folding clothes. Oh, I've done that too. Like in malls. Like yeah. I'd be like, look at this. And it's not even, it was like a Lucky Brand store. It's like a whatever store. Like, And then they're like, what are you doing? Like there's employees. I'm like, I know I was one of them. Like I'm trying to help them out. <laughs> and also just knowing how to treat people. Yeah. Like you don't realize it until people look at you like a robot or like you're just like a Roomba, like something to just <laughs> clean up after them that they don't have to talk to or treat like a human being. And that's when I was like, everyone needs to experience this in their life. I agree with that. Did you ever find anything disgusting in the dressing rooms? No, mostly it was just, <laughs> mostly it was like all the sensors that people would rip off and Shut rip close. Oh yeah, up. we had the scammers, scammers. And we had the scam. And the thing is, it's kind of a joke about it now, but like you can't, do anything about it so like they can literally go up to you and be like i'm stealing this and you're like okay all i can do is try to persuade you not to but (laughs) i can literally i can't touch you i'm not going to try to touch you i can't assume that you're stealing so i can't tell a manager all i can do is try to keep you in the store and persuade you to buy that but if you walk out with it 
then we report it after you've walked out. Get the fuck out. I didn't know that. Yeah. But aren't there loss prevention departments in, in like... There are. We didn't really... We had one that was part-time. Oh, my so God. So whenever they weren't there, we had to sort of self-govern. But literally... Also, they didn't technically steal anything until they walked out. So we literally couldn't do anything. That's such an interesting technicality. You're giving so many tips to our listeners. I Super mean, seriously, helpful. steal away. <laughs> steal away, that. guys. So people would take the sensors off in yeah. the dressing room yeah. and then just And then just this. walk out. <sighs> or what we got a lot of was a lot of returns without receipts. So how does that work? Because I've heard of this scam forever sure. and I still can't track it. So a lot of stores will let you return stuff without a receipt. But what you're giving them is store credit because you can't give them anything else. Okay. If you, if you didn't see what the original form of payment was, you can't give them cash. You can't put money back on their card. So basically, if they steal $200 worth of Gap merchandise, they get a free $200 Gap card, which they can then use to pay for their own stuff. That is... That was back then. I mean, this was, again, early 2000s, so... I think this is the same thing, though, because I've asked friends that currently work in retail, and they the stealing stuff drives them crazy because ex- I hadn't thought of exactly what you just said, though, that until they cross that threshold outside of the store, they technically haven't... God, that's that's intense. That's a, Well, that's one way to run the system, I guess. It is. And what, and what got a little dicey and what got a little sensitive was... Some of the managers, and I obviously will not mention any other names. Some of the managers, one of them not being Julie Healy. Not that, Julie Healy. Not Julie we Healy. love her. She's an angel. Some of the managers would profile a little bit. So like if someone walked in and be like, oh, keep an eye on that person. And it's like, why? Why? Other than the color of their skin, yeah. why did like, you say why that? Why are you, you know, so that that was a little like, ugh, like then you have to play the bad guy. And then, and then all of a sudden I found myself keep an eye on that person because that's what they asked me to do. And I'm like, they're literally just shopping. Ugh. Oh, that would make me so sick. Yeah. I would I'd just be like, no. So that was that, that part was tough too. Yeah. But you know, you find your ways. I mean, it's so funny as, as I'm talking to you through these, I found my ways to enjoy those mm. jobs. You know, obviously at Kaplan, making puppets was fun. <laughs> at the Gap, we <laughs> if I was there, there was like an early morning shift where you would get the new shipments and start putting it out. And those were like, those were a pain in the ass. You had to get there like at 6.30 or whatever. Yeah. But it was fun because no one else was in the store. It was usually just me and Guru Tom. <laughs> the cult leader. And some other, you know, friends or whatever. And I don't know if you, like, in the stock rooms, they have, like, these rolling racks. I've never worked retail, so I have no clue. They're, like, these metal shelves that roll. So it's, like, a, you know, five-level uh, metal shelf that is on wheels that's probably as tall as you are a little bit taller. So in order to buy the time and entertain ourselves... I came up with this game. I'll bet. Here we go. <laughs> where one person would get on one rolling shelf and the other person would get on another and we would basically, like a scooter, like oh my make God. it roll and then crash, crash into, into each, each other? other with the oh rolling racks. my God. You could have broken all of your bones. Oh, sure. <laughs> and at one point, I remember this guy, Harry, he was so nice and we were like the devil, like with the angel <laughs> and the devil and we were the devil. We were like, come on, Harry, let's try it. He's like, I don't know, guys. Like he just was trying to play the rules. Like, Harry, come on, man. Just try it. It's fun. Like so bully. <laughs> and he's like, "All right, I'll try one." So then I got on one. He got on one, and we did it. And we crashed. And the first thing goes like, "Oh, my knees!" Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Did he? Was he injured? I think he was okay. He like kind of walked it off. <laughs> We're like, "Okay, cool. We'll stop. We'll stop playing that so game." So the nice guy doesn't. We're not going to recruit him anymore. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst you're on the clock? 
The weirdest thing. The only thing that's coming to mind is a story I already told about like, hey, let's just wait for this guy to yeah. to shop. That again, like I said, looking back, I'm like, I'm glad we did that. But at the time, I was like, why are we giving such special service service to this one? Have you ever had an experience where looking back, you were like, oh, I was being, I don't know, uh, I'm not good at this part. Maybe to cover up for an employee that was stealing and you didn't know. And then you were like, oh, shit, when they had me do X... They were for sure taking stuff out that you didn't realize till later or no, none of that. Not really. The closest thing I could think of is at the time that I was at the second, my gap round two, <laughs> gap the sequel <laughs> um, I, that I was already touring. I remember one of the waiters at Second City came in and Ithamar, you work here. That's so cool. Like we already knew each other socially. And like they like made a beeline for me and I was like, okay. And they're like, hey, so I'm trying to return. I'm returning this baby outfit that I got for my for my family we got it like this i just realized it now there's like these ink spots on it and like they made a beeline for me because mm. they knew that i knew them and i was like and the manager's watching me so i'm like what do i do so i remember i, I did the return and then later the manager was like why'd you do that i was like i didn't know what to do like the tags were still on it i didn't really tell the manager at the time that like i was their friend i sure, was just of like of course I just, I didn't know what to do. And they just kind of rolled their eyes, but they were like, all right, well, we can't sell this again because there's like all these ink spots. But I definitely found that a lot where like if people knew that I worked there and be like, hey, can you maybe do something? Or, you know, the gap policy was like, if we ever find out that you're using your discount for other people, you can get penalty right. or yeah. fired or whatever. And every once in a while, they'd be like, hey, can I get that? And I would have to be like, I can't. Like, I just can't do it. Yeah, that's a... That's a the, the the ink stain thing bothers me because it's like that put your job potentially at risk a yeah. little bit. Although that was when I was working for Julie, and at that point, I think I could probably do no wrong. <laughs> so Julie Healy, Ithamar Enriquez took full advantage of the relationship that you worked so hard to honor, and all the sacrifices you as a manager made. Ithamar just exploited that. I'm so sorry, I, Julie, but again, thank no, you so not. much he's for all that you've done. <laughs> we like you, Julie. Okay, what's an incident? that ever asked and I seriously doubt you have a story for this but what's an incident that made them ask to speak with your manager after interacting with you it was usually I don't know if, nothing specifically but it was usually like you couldn't do a return or you found the size they wanted at another store and they'd have to maybe if it was on sale we couldn't do free shipping uh. or you know so they that was like the only I mean it's such a slight case, but it was like, yeah, I need to talk to someone else who's going to do this for me. But it's so indicative because you were just towing the line of company policy of exactly what you were supposed to do and they want to talk to a manager. Yeah. Like, it's just such a bleh. Okay. Yeah. Was there a last straw that got you out of customer service or were all of, did all of your jobs include like, oh, well now I'm moving or I now I've got enough acting work or whatever. Or did you have a job where you were like, fuck this? It, it, was, it was mostly that I got busy with the acting stuff, but... I, the part that made me say fuck this about working at the Gap in that neighborhood specifically was the entitlement I kept seeing. That was really like, who are these people? Like, these, this is terrible. I already had a chip on my shoulder for that just growing up in my life, you know. You know, we grew up in sort of in a lower middle class area in El Paso. And then the whole thing with moving to Arizona and having sure. to like that, that's all. And that's still now. There's still a little bit of that in me where I'm like, I just don't trust the entitled uh, or, mm. or or necessarily like the entitled or, you know, if I know you're rich or you came from like a rich background, I already, already question it, which way. is not fair, but yeah. that's just, yeah. you know, where I'm at. And um, so, yeah, the entitlement really got to me big time. 
what would be a way that you would handle if if someone came in of the sort of upper echelon caliber and they were condescending to you? Did you have a little game you would do that they would be unaware of? He's smiling and covering his face. Yeah. What was that? I'm sorry, Julie. So um, <laughs> we love you, Julie. This is so unfair. <laughs> so we used to have these. If those of you who remember the gaps in the 90s and the 2000s, every employee had like a headset. Like we had a headset that had a little button on the wire. Oh my God. Because that's what like, if they didn't have a size, sure. you have to press the button and be like, hey Tom, is the you <laughs> know boot cut, boot cut low rise size four, do we have it downstairs? Size four, fuck her. So, <laughs> so already, right? Yep, I'm already mad. Yep. So if I saw someone come in with their entitlement flag flowing. <laughs> Waving. I need these in a four, you know, whatever. Ew. I would be like, sure, one second. I would pretend to, to press, press the, the button, button. <laughs> and I went into a whole Bob Newhart routine <laughs> of talking to someone who wasn't there. <laughs> and be like, and be like, hey Tom, pause two, three, four. Hey, yeah, it's Ithamar. Pause two, three, four. Hey, so we're looking for the low rise boot cut size four. Pause four. Look at her. He's checking. And then <laughs> Literally, I have not pressed a button. Not once. Tom is probably not even working that day. Tom's off. Tom is off the clock. (laughs) No one's down there, by the (laughs) way. No one. Empty. Empty warehouse. There's probably seven size fours (laughs) that I can very well go down there and get myself. And then you're on the walkie. And then uh, and then just waiting, waiting the right time, and then finally being, oh, dang it. Okay, cool. Thanks, Tom. I'm so (laughs) sorry. We don't have any. Can you check other stores? And then I'd have to probably go to the phone and do and uh, uh, the phone you couldn't fake. Like no, I, I couldn't gotta, fake the phone. Like you couldn't go beep um, boop, beep, beep, beep. Yeah, yeah. She saw you dialing. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you're dialing the red button seven times. <laughs> There's nothing there. Um Oh, that's hilarious. So yeah, that was uh that's how that was my little ways of like oh, I'm crying. getting back at them because then they'd have to leave the store. Oh wow, bummer. But I'm sorry, but who goes <laughs> yeah. into a location is like I need yeah. like ugh. But also like, like I said, good um Good training for acting because I wasn't right. talking to anybody. And uh, improv. Yeah. Okay. Tom was nowhere to be seen. So have you? Well, I guess that's sort of a version of telling a customer <laughs> to fuck off. But have you ever <laughs> said to a customer in the Ithamar branded, very nice way, like you can go fuck yourself? Like, have you ever, like, um, no, not really. The, uh, no, besides, probably just that. Just that sending them away. I was just thinking at the end of this podcast, I'm probably gonna. It's probably gonna be like a Fight Club ending where I'm gonna find out that Tom never existed. <laughs> it was just a version of, of me. You. That was. Oh my god. That was Guru Tom. Oh gosh, and he I, never existed. I really want to look up. I like in my head, Guru Tom has like just a goatee, <laughs> and like he himself is constantly in the black t-shirt and the jeans, even if he could afford the latest gear at the Gap, because his followers had the same gear on, and he was just letting people know outside, like, oh no, when I work, people know what to wear. Guru Tom was your quintessential Chicago like white dude, really like, short haircut. Um, kind of like built like he probably played football in high school. Loved, I mean, loved Howard Stern. Like it was oh, like boy. 
did you hear how it turned this morning? Like, <laughs> no, Tom. Like, no, no Tom. I did, I did not. <laughs> and then would tell me the bits. Of course. And then, yeah, that was that was <laughs> that Guru was Guru Tom. Tom. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, you didn't work in bars, so were there ever any? I, I hosted. Oh, I'm like, oh my god! I Ithamar. can't believe I forgot this one. What? I forgot two. Oh, I forgot two jobs. Well, now we're up to five. Tell me those two. Oh my god! So one of them was I was a host at Dick's Last Resort. Ithamar, Which this was, would be such a fun job. Well, you'd think. Oh, and not. So for those of you who don't know, Dick's Last Resort is kind of like this thing where like the whole gimmick is that the waiters can be rude to you. Oh my, right they up my can, alley. Yeah, which is really fun. What they don't tell you about being a host is you have to sort of like police it. So like, for example, if the waiter, like if you're like, hey, can I get napkins? And the waiter throws napkins at you. If you start throwing stuff at other tables, I, as the host, have to be dad and come in and be like hey you can't do that but the waiter's throwing stuff at me yeah but blah 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 so that was like that was it's one of those jobs like ooh, fun i could do my comedy thing not as a host no as a server you were as a host you had to be like the bad guy oh you're the hall monitor police gross oh yeah i can't believe i forgot that one but that was only for a summer but yeah that one that one was tough because of that yeah what was the second one you forgot? You're second like, one, um, it's I was a host at the Second City Theater in Chicago. So I oh. would seat people. Again, you had to be the police. I had to tell people to be quiet when they were talking really? too loud or talking too much. So then when I got to be on stage and I used to hear people talk, I would get so pissed off. A, because as a performer, you're trying to get through it and people are talking out loud. Yeah. But B, I also knew that some poor the person com- had to come oh. and like tell them to be quiet. So... Yeah. Oh, that's such a frustrating job. I didn't yeah. realize that was a that was a position. It's like it's essentially security. Yeah. So you basically at the host at, at Second City, you would either you would seat the people at their t- they would tell you where to seat them, you would police them if they're being too loud, and then you would run stuff for the kitchen. So like ice uh-huh. and or sometimes you were in the kitchen like putting like pizzas in the oven and stuff, and like that really was kind of like your job. Wow. Yeah. So have you, in, in the hosting jobs, were there any bodily fluids that ended up on you or in any of your jobs? Have you ever had any bodily fluids on you? My own? Well. Because if it's my own, it's every job. <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't want to hear job. it. Nope, we're uh, skipping that answer. No. Uh, no, not only bodily fluids. No, <laughs> okay. not that I know of. Okay. But it was, it was especially Friday night, second show, both as a performer at Second City and as a house staff worker, mm-hmm. Friday night, second show was always my least favorite. Was it because people were wasted? Dr- it was the drunkest... Bachelorette parties, frat. Oh, it's always um, those. Business people who were there on business who they got part of their business trip was to go see Second City. And I never yeah. understand. I, I've said this in the podcast a hundred times, but I've never understand getting just rip shit hammered and sitting in a theater. I get it in like a club if you're going to go dance or whatever. Like you can be in motion. I guess I get it. But especially people who, who are blowing lines and then sitting down to watch a show. I'm like, you can't express it so why do right. it I don't well and especially the comedy show yeah i'm sure you've experienced at the stand-up club and in improv theaters they think they're part the of performer it. wants the, especially especially in improv because you ask for because a then they're like oh if i yell something out they're gonna make something out of it and it's like we have to find a way to train the audience that you can yell out when we ask you to yell out but not just whenever you want. Sure. And that became really challenging. Did you see experience that a lot in Vegas? Yes. Was it worse there than elsewhere? Big time. Because now in Vegas, the hard part about Vegas is the show was truncated because basically, a little insider fact, a lot of Vegas shows don't have intermission because they know they will lose their audience. Oh, that's fascinating. Because most people there 
I don't want to, I, I, I'm not going to generalize, but mostly one spouse just wants to gamble mm. and the other spouse wants to enjoy the show for the most part. So at, at the Second City, which no longer is there, we were, we were in the Cabaret Theater in the Flamingo Hotel and Casino. And all that separated us from the machines was a one glass wall. Stop. So like in the middle of our show, you're hearing people, you're hearing the, the, the ding, 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 ding. You're oh hearing people God. drinks and blah, blah. And also... People who just want to gamble are sitting there being like, there's gambling happening and I'm watching a show where they're making fun of George Bush. Like, how does this, I'm really, this is not where I want to be. Like, I'm watching political satire (laughs) while I'm trying to like. Be fucked up smoking and playing blackjack. Oh my God. But that was, what was interesting about that is one, one time we had a, a very special guest who was going to come to our show as part of her reality show that they were going to shoot. Uh, she, unfortunately, is no longer with us, but her show was huge. I could, we could say her name. I mean, I get Joan Rivers, right? No, but oh. good guess. Oh. Anna Nicole Oh, bless Smith. her heart. May she rest. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. She was going to come see a... What she the did. fuck was she doing? She, she, well, she, what was her show called? The Anna Nicole Show. Oh. The Anna Nicole Show. Wow. We are garbage at this. Okay. So Between the, the two Anna, of us. The Anna Nicole Show. So it was a part of the Anna Nicole Show. Like she was in okay. Vegas. She's going to go to the show. She was, of course, done up to like... I mean, she looked beautiful in her hair. I mean, it was just amazing. Those little entourage. They didn't, sh- they didn't film us because against equity rules, they couldn't film us but they were filming her and her reaction and all i remember she was very sweet but all i remember is like at one point we're about to do an improv game and i was like can we get a suggestion of your favorite halloween costume just to start off the scene and the audience already know i mean they know she's there so they're just waiting for her to yell something yeah. out. no one's yelling she just goes a t-shirt Dear Grace. Like, Dear Grace. And I believe it. That was probably a yeah, Halloween costume. With no costume. bottoms. Like she nothing. Had. Just a t-shirt. Yeah. And her so like, great. Food. Thank you. So that was an interesting night. Then. I'll but, bet. Yeah. So you had, but it, at your time there, the, like, the experience was theater, but it was also contending with the sort of drunkards. Yeah. Was it at, was it worse than the second Friday night show at, it's like, it just was. Yeah, definitely. How because this was, we, we were doing, we were performing, this was six nights a week. Oh. Doing oh, that's either Broadway level. seven shows or eight shows. That's Broadway schedule. Yeah. That's bonk. Were you just exhausted all the time? Um, It was pretty exhausting, but I, it, I was also, you know, I was in my, what, mid 20s. So I had the energy and I loved it just because I was getting paid. The show wasn't too long. It was like maybe an hour 15. Oh. So it wasn't that bad. Okay. And, you know, and we're living the Vegas lifestyle. Like we got tickets to all the shows. We got paid good money. We got my favorite thing was we had access to the Flamingo cafeteria oh. like whenever we wanted, which I was like, this is the score. Like this mid 20s, like dude, basically walk in and be like, give me everything. It's buffet style. Yes. I am set. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was it. But we saw some really interesting shows and, and just what a culture out there. Yeah. Yeah. Especially performing on the strip. Like, of course, sure. you have Vegas, Vegas, which some parts of Vegas are actually really nice and pretty. But then you had the strip culture, and that was just different. Oh, I remember one time we had, we used to go to this bar called the Crown and Anchor, which was off the strip, and that's where all the performers would go after. So that was really fun, like trade stories. It was a lot of Cirque du Soleil people. So it was a lot of just oh, like, oh, that's awesome. There was that. It was like the, it was the band from the Blue Man group. It was like, it was just a nice mix of people. And there was a group of women who were doing this show called Jubilee, uh, which was basically like a topless review. 
like you okay. know very classy <laughs> yeah. quotes you know yeah. but i remember it was so weird because we got free they're like come see our show you guys we're like okay so the cast of second city went which was like I was, it was me and brian shortall and of course it was like this we could not stop snickering I'm not bad. because of the boobs just because of like <laughs> the show was so it was such a weird show <laughs> their whole their whole selling point was like watch the titanic sink nightly <laughs> Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is that real? Yes, yes that is real. It oh was, my god! It was like a spectacle. Like so, it was like topless showgirls, and also the Titanic sinks nightly. Wait, who? What kind of drug-induced like ideas? That's Vegas. That's, that's, that's what Vegas. every Vegas show. It that's was Vegas. like we need to have everything. We need to have a spectacle. We need to have mm. breasts exposed. We need to have aerial, aerialist, aerialist, aerialist. Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. put a little bit of cirque in there. So the the weird part was, we're in our row in our second city row. The late the the dancers knew we were going to be there, so they come out in their huge, beautiful headdresses. They're topless and they're like making faces at us, like crossing their eyes, like sticking their tongue. Out. I'm like, I this is weird. I, for, like I yeah. can't. I can see your boobs. Yeah, like, yeah. This like, is, I don't know where to look. And, yeah, uh, yeah. No, that would be. So yeah, it was really interesting. We got to see a lot of. Some really good shows because I also got to see uh, again Rest Their Souls, but I also got to see Harvey Corman and Tim Conway oh, wow. do a show there, which was really fun. And then we got to see like really weird, just Vegas shit. Oh, I, I, there's probably a bajillion stories there yeah. too. Um, do you tip? Do I tip? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How much? Twenty. Percent. No all matter. The time. No matter what. No matter what. And that was when I was in Chicago. I was I was dating a server at the time, and I remember we were at a restaurant. And I was trying to get a little like upset or a little impatient and i had already had my gap jobs and stuff mm-hmm. but i'd never had a serving job and i remember i was getting really upset and she was just like hey you don't know what their day is like mm. she goes i make it a rule that no matter what no matter what happens i'm always gonna tip them and from that day i was like all right i think you're right i will all it's it's a shitty shitty job to have i will always tip them 20 percent. wow that's lovely so is there ever an experience where even post dating the server that you would not tip no i always wow. tip i always tip wow that's impressive because i don't even say yes to that that's yeah. impressive okay <laughs> if there's a server out there listening to this being like i remember they wouldn't I remember serving me and you I, not tip me but no 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 yeah I ever always since tip. this podcast i was like fuck i have to start being so much more consistent because i tell people i am and i'm like all right every coffee shop you're getting a couple bucks um okay were you ever fired from a customer service job or any job you don't seem like the type i haven't yeah that doesn't surprise me yeah uh, worst, can you either give a story? I mean, you've given us some pretty bad ones, but a story of the worst customer you can think of that you interacted with or an archetype of the worst. I, I know you've said entitlement is frustrating, but like mm-hmm. a top to bottom besides short of throwing the jeans in your face. This one comes to mind and it's <laughs> kind of on track with what we're already talking about. But again, working at Dick's Last Resort gave people the thought the freedom to be complete assholes sure even the customers so i remember one time it was a lunch shift and this family came in it was like a family it was like a family of like five with a grandparent parents a few kids and they walked in and they had like these such innocent faces like oh this is gonna be fun because i think dicks was known at the time that you can bring your family for lunch it'll be fun it's not gonna be rowdy it's just gonna be fun the waiters will have some attitude blah blah so they're all excited and they sit there and they haven't been they haven't given, been given menus yet or anything. This drunk couple walks in. They're friends with the manager. She's just wearing like a bikini top and shorts. 
and they're drunk and I'm like, uh oh. And all of a sudden, right away, I get protective of the family. I'm like, this family. So the manager greets them and all of a sudden the girl like just looks, she's like has a drunk, swervy head look into the room. Wait, girl from the family or no, a girl, girl in the, uh, bikini, the, the top. bikini top? Okay. She unclasps her no, bikini, no. flashes no. the dining room. The manager is laughing. They're laughing. Right away, I turn to the family. They, the parents' face are just like, Dejected. they're just like, they're done. They get up, they leave. As they're leaving, the, the grandmother looks at me and is like, I didn't know you guys did that type of stuff during the day. And I felt terrible. terrible. And they all walked out and the manager's laughing. And that's one time when I did go up to the manager, I was like, hey, we just lost that table of like six people who are just trying to have a nice time. And I was like, oh, well, I should have told her to flash the cooks or well, I don't even remember what he told me. But I was, I was like, that was one time I was like, fuck this place. Like you can't say, you can't have both. You can't say, hey, we're going to be, we're going to have attitude and throw shit. But then we're also going to make it good for family, you know, whatever. You can't live in both worlds. Yeah. You pick a lane. And especially during the day. I mean, it yeah. was literally like 1 p.m. So what? We, so that, the chick that flashed would yeah, be like the worst. Yeah, that's the one worst. that comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was just some... And I think basically she represents, for me, she represents just drunk patrons. I mean, I think generally drunk patrons yes. are just... It's like you yes. said, like, why go somewhere if you're not even going to remember... I don't get like, like you're spending so much money, so much money yeah. and you're paying for that experience. You're not paying to mainline beers and Coke. You're paying for what's happening on stage right now or what's happening around you. And no one's enjoying you. No one. The people you're with hate you, hate you. The people on stage or hate, hate you. you. Your server hates hate you. you. So like just stay home and get drunk. Yeah. And I recognize like, you know, some people have social anxiety and like I'm one of them. Like I get it. And also, it's not everybody else's responsibility to make it comfortable for you by yeah. letting you mainline whatever. And there's also a difference between, hey, I've gotten tipsy at a restaurant before and sure. it's fun, but I've never gotten to like be an asshole or blackout drunk to where... Mm. Escort you out. Yeah, I don't... To where I lose responsibility of what I can say sure. or yell out or whatever. Well, folks, that was all the... That was the entrees. We're going to move on to the good stuff. We hope you saved room for dessert. What's the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? And we, I would have asked you the nicest thing a manager has done for you, but Julie Healy. I mean, you can't just beat. can't be beat. You can't be Julie Healy. You really <laughs> no, you can't. Cannot. I'm going to tell her to listen to this episode. Please do. Because I want her to know <laughs> how much, she, how much she meant yeah. Yeah, to me at that time and how freeing that was. Yeah. I mean, I think every once in a while, you know, you get this every once in a while, there'd been like, after you would be patient in helping a customer. I think this happened a lot at The Gap. You'd help them out they would buy their stuff and then you could see them kind of walk up to the manager and be like, Hey, just so you know, you know, Ithamar, whoever was really, really great. That matters. I wouldn't necessarily know, but then the manager would come to me and be like, Hey, just so you know, that person said you were really great. So really, really good job. I fooled them. I fooled them. Yeah, you sure did. You were faking on the mic. I was faking on the mic. I was doing my Bob Newhart to rude people. But I was still like, you know. Service with a smile, though. You <laughs> smiled right. at their faces whilst they threw things at you. But what's the bet? Well, you wouldn't have gotten tips. Well, did you get tips as the host? Sometimes I would get tips. Hosting at Second City, you'd get tipped out sometimes. You would? Yes. By the servers or by the person you sat? Uh, by the servers. Oh, okay. By the servers, you would get tipped out. And each server had a different, like if they knew that you were, that you sat their table or that you went to uh, hush them up or whatever, they'd be like, hey, thanks for that 
I here's part of my tip. So right. everyone's supposed to be nice for them to do that. Yeah. So you, they did. There wasn't a gap. Like the second city didn't have a policy that you got tipped out. The servers would choose it on their own. I think so. Okay. Might, I I have to fact check that. But again, that was also it may have changed since sure then. that was 77 years ago so we don't you know we don't know best customer top to bottom if you can't think of one example sort of an archetype of the customer that you would say this interaction this right here i would say just someone who treated you like a human being someone who the like of times that is the answer yeah no yes. but seriously someone yes. who did not who did not treat you like an employee did yes. not treat you like like you're here to serve me it's so simple yeah it's so simple and we all say that is the best that's the 10 Mm -hmm. for all of us is treat us like we're human and even it could be even as simple as because believe me before i worked customer service if i would go into a retail store i would once i saw someone beelining for me i would get i would roll my eyes it's Mm -hmm. like don't hey, can I help you today? And it'd be like, I'm just looking, right? Mm -hmm. I I used to be that person. Once I started working at The Gap, I realized, oh, you don't have to be an asshole about it. You can be like, I'm cool, I'm cool, but I'll let you know. You know, thank you so much. That's it. And even just hearing the spiel, I'll, I'll, to this day, I'll still hear the spiel I used to give. Like, hey, just, you know, if you sign up, blah, 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 because in my mind, I'm like, I know they don't want to do that. So I'm just going to listen. I'm going to listen to it. I remember one time I was at uh, at a mall and, Sometimes I'll even stop to listen to the kiosk people. Bless your heart, and that will Mar, sometimes you're a hero. take. Even though I know I'm going to say no, I know I'm going to say I don't have time. Wow! And it's going to take you know ten minutes, of your ten day minutes. Or whatever. But I'm like, I may be the only person who has stopped for this person. Ithamar, or I may be you know whatever it is. That's so I'm going to because also it's like if I don't have anywhere to go, I'm already at the mall. Like what? What? I'm in a rut. Like, you know. So you are so sweet. I'm not saying I do it every time, but sometimes I'll do it because I know what that's like. Wow, that's that's a level of kindness I simply don't have in me. So well done, you. So the so the best customer said treat you like a human. Crazy. What's the best lesson you personally have learned from working in customer service? Going back to what I said before, just treating people like human beings on both sides, on both sides. Because I've also you know I've I've been into stores where if it's like a ritzier store, some of the employees take on that. Air. Air. And it's like, first of all, you work here, you don't shop. <laughs> Secondly. <laughs> That's a read. <laughs> I'm dying. But, you know, but, you know, so you have no, no one has any reason to treat anyone no like one. shit. But yeah. I think, yeah, I think just treating people, yes. Are, are, are you, are they technically called servers at a restaurant? Yes. Are they technically called you know, customer service reps or whatever. Yes, that doesn't mean that they work for you. For you. Per se. That doesn't mean they work only for you. That doesn't mean that they're there to serve you head to toe. That's right. You're working together to make this transaction work. So just treating people with kindness and being a human being, even if they're strangers, which obviously they're going to be strangers if, you know. Unless they want to return their ink stain dress. They want to, yes, and then, exactly. then, then they're not strangers. Okay. What's one piece of advice that you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers, apart from treat them like human beings? I would say, listen to them. Don't assume anything. Don't assume that they're going to have exactly what you want. Or that they have to have. That they have to have. Also, don't assume that they own the company you're at. Like, don't... <laughs> Don't assume they're COO. Yeah. (laughs) Don't assume that you're talking to Mr. Banana Republic. No, you're talking to a part-time employee who lives two blocks away. (laughs) 
that's the only reason he took the job. <laughs> Sorry, Julie. took the job. <laughs> and don't assume that it's like, well, when are you going to get these back in the season? It's like, I don't know. Boo, I, I, I know nothing. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know. Hold a gun to my head. Still don't know. Well, then let me call. I'm going to call corporate. Please, Please do. Here's the number. <laughs> My name is Ithamar Enriquez, I T H A M A R E N R I Q U E Z. <laughs> so yeah, don't assume that that they are the. F- I mean, yes, they are the face of the company for that moment, but that doesn't mean they are but a conduit. Whoa, sure. there it wow. is. Look at all these capital they are hot SAT a conduit of the company, but they can't. They're not a genie. Hello. Who's going to make things just happen for you? Was there anything else you want everybody to know about customer service or has it informed your acting? Do you use any of the things that you got out of, you know, any of these jobs to? I would say this. I would say this. And this is something that I was thinking about on my way here. And also not that I was going to like force it in, but like force this topic in. But like, I, I will say this. If you feel like you're stuck at a customer service job while you're waiting for something else. Know that, much like I did, not that I knew I was doing it at the time, but in retrospect, I found a way to use my skills to make the job work for me. For example, I'm making puppets. John T. <laughs> I'm fake making John fake John T. at Kaplan <laughs> yeah. because that's keeping my creative juices flowing. And I know that that's mainly probably for people who are in the creative fields, but maybe not. Maybe you're stuck at a at a, a customer service job and you want to be a, a lawyer, a doctor, lawyer, right? yeah, yeah, teacher, whatever it is. You can find ways to use your skills to make it work for you. That's just what I did. Just make it work for yourself. Other people may disagree with me, but I think the nice thing about some of these customer service jobs is you don't have to take them that seriously. Hello. Like, hello. You know, you don't have to take you them don't. seriously. So, you, everyone knows what, what that, everyone's just there for a paycheck. Make it work for yourself. Find a way to laugh at the customers, not at their face, but <laughs> afterwards. I necessarily never use them to like inspire characters. Oh, but I just remember this. In one of my conservatory shows at Second City, this conservatory is like the last level you take at a Second City school where your director, you know, directs the sketches, much like I did with Kate's group. I remember that I did our closing song was about the gap. Because that was my way of sort of like I wrote a song that was sort of airing my frustrations with working at the gap. And it, it closed the song. So I did use that in my create creative work. Sure. Uh, yeah. So just, yeah. Can you think of something in the song, like a story you haven't told us yet? I, I remember that I turned it. I remember it started like as a gripe song about it. But then my director were like, we have to have a point of view. So it ended up being about s- someone that I fell in love with at the gap. And I was just using gap terminology as metaphors Amazing. for the love. So I think the chorus was something like, let me fold, fold, fold our hearts into one. That's adorable. <laughs> I think is what it was. That is absolutely. And then the rest of the like lyrics were about like you know, I don't even know shitty like, customers or whatever. Or, or, or like yeah, you're the you're the security sensor to my khakis or whatever it was. That's it's really just, cute. Yeah. So I used it as a way to like write something. So I would say try to use it if you can. Whether it's if you're a stand up, if you're an actor, if you're a writer, whatever it is. Find ways to make it work. Don't let the job take away 
your spirit or who you are. You can still very much be who you are and you can still create for yourself even if you're doing other things that you don't want to do. Wow, that's really lovely. I'm glad I asked that bonus question. See, Ithamar knew you were going to give me gems. Amazing. <laughs> well, how can people get in touch with you? Are you on socials in like a public way? Or what do you, how do you want people to be able to harass you? What's yeah, uh, both Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Ithamar Enriquez. You can check the title of this podcast with a spelling at Ithamar Enriquez, one word, Twitter and Instagram. I'm purposely going to misspell it. Okay, folks, <laughs> well, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service From Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here at Service From Hell directly, send us your receipts at servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, if you can't afford a tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thank you so much, Ithamar. This was lovely. I really appreciate you being here. All right, folks, find him on everything. He's hilarious. Watch him on all of the things. WandaVision, can they get it? Uh, What is that on? Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. So y'all get Disney Plus. And then is there anything in the future you're allowed to talk about that you're like in the process of now or is everything hush hush? Um, A couple things are hush hush. That's what I figured. He's (laughs) high profile, y'all. And he said yes. We're so fortunate. Thank you, Ithamar. Good night, everybody. Um, oh, pardon me. (laughs) Seriously, the coffee machine. Kate, edit this. God damn it. See, this is what happens when... It was my fault that I wanted coffee. It's okay. It's what happens when you have a fancy coffee machine. (laughs) It just does this shit. This should be done soon. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Hold your thought, though. Don't lose your place. I'll try to pick up where I left off. (laughs) Please do. It's so aggressive. It's the most. That's like, I don't know, $65,000 right there. They're so expensive. (laughs) And they interrupt recordings. Are you fucking kidding It just me? keeps going. That's not stopping. Oh, wait. Oh, there we go. Now off. he's off. Uh, I'm so sorry. It's okay.